We talk a lot on this podcast about chess improvement, but when it comes to improving your hiring processes, Indeed is the platform you need. Indeed has over 350 million global monthly visitors, and it has a matching engine that helps you find quality work candidates fast. You can use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with your candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Years ago, when I was running a chess teaching business, I found it hard to find good help, and I had to go through a lot of back and forth to even screen potential candidates. Indeed allows you to do those things efficiently in one place. Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed for hiring, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of Perpetual Chess will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility if you go to Indeed.com slash chess. Just go to Indeed.com slash chess right now, and you'll be supporting our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast, Indeed.com slash chess. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, everyone. I am Ben Johnson, and this is the Perpetual Chess Podcast. Perpetual Chess is a weekly interview show where top chess players, authors, content creators, and accomplished amateurs discuss their careers and share stories and chess improvement tips. Perpetual Chess is a part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network, and we'd like to give special thanks to our presenting chess education sponsor, Chessable.com. For more information about the show, you can go to perpetualchesspod.com. But without further ado, let's get to the show. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Perpetual Chess. We have a fun pod coming your way with returning guest, adult improver extraordinaire, Neil Bruce, talking about how to study the the Legends Master Games, in particular game compilation books. Neil has been plowing through them, and he joins us to share which he found the most noteworthy and for us to discuss uh, whether we think this is a good way to um, a good thing to incorporate into your study routine. Um, I also wanted to let you guys know that I found out after I recorded the pod that I have COVID. I'm telling you this not to get some outpouring of sympathy from you all, but just to let you know that uh, I'm actually going to take the next week off from Perpetual Chess. So this episode will be out on November 8th, and then we will be back on November 22nd. So just wanted to let you all know that. But without further ado, let's get you to the podcast talking game compilation books with Neil Bruce. 
Hello and welcome back to Perpetual Chess. This is Neil Bruce. I'm here with your host, Ben Johnson. Ben, take it away. Hello, everyone. Great to be back here with Neil Bruce. I think regular listeners are familiar with Neil, uh, nicknamed by me the Habit Grandmaster. Um, in addition to a busy job and a family, he puts in tons of time studying chess with his famed self-generated flashcards and uh, currently is working on game collections. So the topic of this book-focused podcast will be game collections. Listeners, you may hear my voice is a little hoarse. Uh, we are recording this on November 2nd, Wednesday, November 2nd. I had a late night at the World Series game last night, and I'm it's some combination of that and me getting sick, so I apologize. But we're we're powering through. We're good to go. And Neil is always a pro and well prepared. So I feel that we are in good hands. Um, so Neil, game collections. Uh, could you uh, explain, sort of give a little context for newer listeners and discuss uh, how it is that you decided to study a bunch of game collection books, which we will be looking to share some insights about how worthwhile they are, and uh, and I'll also be discussing. Uh, some of the books I've reviewed previously on the podcast. Anyway, Neil, game collections. Yeah, so let me start by giving a little context about myself, uh, particularly for newer listeners, and set that context uh, with game collections as a subset. And then we're going to talk a little bit about what to expect and how to do study or our, our thoughts on studying game collections. And we'll talk about some specifics uh, of some of the books that we've been going through. But I, I am... I'm on kind of a 10, might be an 11-year quest uh, to, uh, to get better at chess. Uh, I started uh, with tactics. I spent about uh, four years on tactics, and now about three, might turn into three and a half years on strategy. It actually happens that I started my strategy work just as COVID was sending people home when I started working from home in April of 2020. And that plan was first general strategy books, uh, and then pawn books, and then puzzle books. I chopped up about 1,700 positional puzzles, uh, put them into as flashcards into boxes that I, I go through a few every day. And now I'm on a game collections. And what's interesting is there were roughly the same number of games, because I keep track of every game I play through on my board as I'm going through these books, about the same number of games in the general uh, strategy books as in these game collections, because I, I read so many of them. So uh, give you a sense of totals. Uh, I've done about 1,750 games. So I've played through that many since uh, I started in 2020. Uh, I've got about 800 or so to go. Uh, so I'll finish uh, maybe middle of next year. And uh, that'll be, you know, roughly 2,500, 2,600 total games that I will play through. Some would be formal game collections. Some would be things like Reassess Your Chest. The fourth edition has 187 games. So some of these books are really, you know, I, I've joked before that game collections uh, are and uh, strategy books are are very similar, but strategy books are just game collections uh, by theme. So you can see, as I look at my list, I track all this stuff in a spreadsheet, that lots of these game, uh, these strategy books that we've talked about in the past are actually like hidden game collections. So yeah, that, that's a little bit of background. Uh, you've, you started with game collections when you were a kid, so maybe you could give a little background for yourself too, Ben. 
Sure. Yeah. I was thinking back, you know, uh, again, regular listeners will know that I made most of my chess improvements in my teens when I was playing competitively with a pretty strong team. And I also studied on my own, although I think honestly playing in game review uh, probably were the biggest contributors to my success. But I love chess and I wanted to study, um, you know, some things never change. Uh, so in those days, you know, this is we're talking circa 1990. I'm an old man. So uh Game collections, a lot of the books that get recommended every week here, particularly by older guests, are game co collections. There's a lot that have stood the test of time from uh, Fisher's My 60 Memorable Games to Zurich 1953. By the way, I've done podcasts on both of those. As Neil will be discussing today, it's... um. He's a lot of his are focused on like individual players uh, doing sort of their um, memoir game collections, which is a tried and true genre that I often enjoy. So I think a common theme as we start to explore this will be uh, who knows how much it helps your chess. You know, it's really hard to say. All we can say is there are people who've gotten really good at chess who used game collections as an extensive part of their improvement regimen. But of course, there are also people that haven't. So, But uh, to me, even today, as we got ready for this podcast, um, I pulled up some games by Alexander Alyekin or Alakine, if you uh, prefer. And that's one of the books Neil will be discussing. And I was just remembering uh, how fun it is to just play through games. So to me, that's that's part of the appeal how helpful it is, how much time you should spend. Uh, we got a bunch of Twitter, Twitter questions, and we'll be addressing that to the extent we can over time. But I mean, you know, one of my bottom lines is we don't really know, but we will try to answer it. And meanwhile, I just think one of the top lines has to be that it's fun to learn that way, at least for me. For sure. So I'll, I'll build on that on the kind of why annotated games. I'll start by saying as a, you know, relatively well-educated adult, uh, there, people have made attempts at helping adults get better at chess, but I will emphasize the word attempts that like, there is no clear formula. I know that the chess dojo's, uh, working on a program and others have had programs, but I'm kind of making this up as I go. And I've heard, uh, Dan Heisman and others talk about the importance of playing through games. I'll talk a little bit about what uh, benefits I've seen, practical benefits in my games uh, in, in a few minutes. But, you know, the why for me uh, has to do with things that Ben, you and I talked about uh, before the podcast, which is uh, the pro one of the problems that can come from breaking, compartmentalizing chess is you don't really get a sense of the flow of a full game. Uh, if you think about tactics separately from strategy, separately from end games, separately from openings, it can all feel very compartmentalized and hard to feel a sense of flow. So I think a sense of flow, uh, I, I have noticed a few of the, the games that I've uh, studied of the 1700 are actually my opening. And so like sometimes I'll see ideas and openings uh, that I hadn't seen before. So that's a reason to study uh, game collections. Uh, pawn structures, you know, it's one thing to, to study books about pawn structures, another thing to see them in action. So I, I look at game collections as kind of the capstone of my strategy work. Uh, and also things like how to win a one game. Like a lot of the times uh, in, in your uh, game, in kind of general chess improvement books, it'll say, and then the rest was a matter of technique. And for someone at my level around 1700, uh, it's not a matter of technique. I need to see the answer. Right. And so like, it's really useful to see how people actually won games. So every one I counted, I've, I've studied thousands of fragments. I'm only counting the full games in my 1750. Like that's where I really see when the, the winning side 
forces the other side to either capitulate or to be checkmated. And, and you want to see a full game because in, in real life, you play a full game. Uh, anything else? Uh, you know, I know in the past you talked about chess culture. What are some of the other whys for you, Ben? Uh, well, you hit on a big one there. As I mentioned, I was just to get in the mood playing through some Aoyakin games today, and one of them was one of his more famous wins against Capablanca from 1927. I'm sure it's in one of the Alakine books you read, Neil, although it may or may not have left an imprint. But in it reaches an endgame where uh, he's up a pawn and he's trying to convert it. And there are a few spots where he kind of goes in one direction and then backtracks and then goes in one direction and then backtracks. So here you have this world champion that kind of had to figure out how to win the position over the board. And if you're just doing tactics, that's something that you don't see. But when you when you go to play, you encounter that feeling all the time where you're like, all right, you know, I'm probably winning, but I'm not exactly sure what to do here. And of course, in end games, you know, the as uh, I talked about when, <clears throat> excuse me, Kevin Skull and I did the end game strategy, you know, one of uh, Sharashevsky's precepts from the book Endgame Strategy is uh, do not rush. And you see this mm. precept in action. So that that's another thing. I mean, obviously, studying games, and it's, it's a good way to learn chess history. So you can at least have the knowledge that, look, this might be helping me, this might not be helping me. But at least now when someone names a world champion, I'll be able to associate a playing style. If you go through, say, I know Karpov's games was was one of the books you went through so there's lots of good reasons again we don't know for sure how much it helps and you know one interesting <clears throat> issue we've talked about before neil is you it's hard to isolate the variables in chess so mm. you know you might you've gone through all these games amazing work ethic i'm sure you feel like you've learned a lot and maybe you'd even show some rating gains but it's not like that's the only thing you're doing right so a lot of mm. it's like why it's notoriously hard to do like a nutritional study because you just can't uh take one thing in isolation so i think that's part of the reason that we just don't know for sure but i certainly like um and i know a lot of like longtime chess fans they they will always play through games whether it helps your chess or not is uh you know secondary in a sense yeah hard to say so one of the questions we got and we were prepared anyway to cover is kind of this is the a classic question so let's say you agree with our whys or your own whys on like uh why do we be bothered to study uh full games and hopefully annotated games uh the ne next question is is when to study them so i i kind of put this straw man you know 800 or 1800 right uh you know like the the very different ends of the of the spectrum a lot of uh, newer players are more close to eight, 800 lots of players who've been playing for many years like myself are closer to 1800 i know you're closer to 2200 but you when did you um first start really reading proper game collections and what, what would you recommend to others yeah I've we've talked before, Neil. I think the first game collection book I might have read is Masters of the Chessboard, which I know you have mm. read as well by Richard Reddy, great player and author uh, in in his own right. And I'm guessing I was probably about fourteen hundred by then. I don't think I was lower rated than that. Um, as we get into the books that we will be discussing individually, there definitely are a few books uh, that are suitable for players below that level. Um, but certainly, I think that by the it becomes increasingly important as you climb up the rating scale to to uh, have some working knowledge of uh, having studied some games. Yeah, good points. I, I'll I'll say I bought like I bought like a lot of adults who have some money in their pockets. I bought way too many books when I started. I think I bought 
uh, you know, Dorofsky's Endgame manual probably on day two. Right. So like I, I bought all the wrong books, but like I bought a ton of these kind of uh, books like Logical Chess and Most Destructive Games, and they just sat on my shelf. I, I think I tried a couple times to knock through them, and what I found early days, so around my kind of eight eight hundred to twelve hundred days, I really didn't understand a lot. Even with with Logical Chess move by move explaining every move, it was. There were too many mysteries for me. I'm sure other people like will get a lot out of some of the kind of what I'll call my uh, kind of basic game collection books earlier than I did. But I will say, I think a misnomer is because I, I went through all of the ones we're going to talk about uh, over 1700 rating USCF. I got a ton out of them, uh, even Logical Chess, which is maybe the most basic of all of them, uh, as a 1700 player. So I think that there's this view that there are books that are, quote unquote, too easy. I think that's almost impossible in chess to have. A, I mean, if you can't learn from master level play, uh, then there's something wrong with you. And so I think that uh, it's never too late uh, to like pick up a game collection. And I, I would say, you know, better to start with the the more basic stuff and work your way forward. Um, but then uh, next question I wanted to talk a little bit about was, uh, you know, general approach, like reading full books, or do you do just the ones that are in your opening? I know when you, you've talked in the past about, uh, about chess structures, Grandmaster Guide to Chess Structures, uh, Rios's book, you've said like maybe one way to do it is to just look up those structures that you play. Uh, what are your thoughts on like, going through every every game even if it's not in your opening repertoire or should you focus on those that are kind of towards your opening yeah this is one of those cases where it becomes challenging because obviously in a perfect world you would just say you know give me all the games but we've all got limited time uh to study so we kind of have to make um tough choices about uh what it is that we do study so it, honestly, you know, this is another one where I don't know for sure. I can say a lot of it might come down to your goals. You know, if your goal is to maximize your improvement time, then you might want to select for your openings, especially if your your near-term goals are, um, say, not super ambitious. Because some people will say, you know, the old uh, possibly canard, I don't know, you know, Andres Toth would certainly say it's true, is like if you learn the London, you might be limited in the structures that you no stuff like that so you might want to know a wide range of structures if you've got like a long-term plan and want to reach a certain level but if you just are learning an opening and feel like you don't really know where the pieces go then i can't really argue with you that if you want to learn the king's indian you look at a bunch of kasparov or fisher games in the king's indian and not the rest of their games because there's so many to choose from so i think it comes down to personal preference uh for the like in large degree and if you're kind of just learning for enjoyment or want to learn about a particular player, then that's certainly a check in the column of uh, just look at all their games. Or if you're reading a tournament book and want to get a sense of the tournament, um, then look at all the games from the tournament. But I, I hesitant to say that there's like a definitive right answer. Yeah, I agree. I don't think there is. Well, I, I will say, so my, I'm a kind of a completist, so I tend to finish books I start. And so I've done a more general, and it was a, that was a conscious uh, decision on my part. And one of the benefits I will say of uh, looking at every game, regardless of opening that I noticed in my recent tournament uh, that I played in after years uh, of break, uh, I really felt at the board, every single game, I really don't care what the middle game is going to be. 
I am going to have a plan. And in every middle game, I did have a plan. And it didn't matter which pawn structure it was, whether I, I knew the name, whether it's like a Benoni or I, I don't know, even even know all the names of all the chess pawn structures, but I just knew I had seen games in every single one of them. And so I think there's a confidence, much like studying the endings, uh, mastering basic endings is like cheat codes towards the end of the game. I think uh, knowing pawn structures and, and seeing enough complete games in all the pawn structures is like a cheat code in the middle game. It gives you a confidence. And I think chess is uh, confidence is, is so important. Uh, it's psychology is, I think more important than sometimes people, uh, give it credit. So I think that, that that's a plug for being a generalist, but I know a lot of people who are super focused, like they only look at that openings and they only look at stuff in their openings and they're, they're probably gaining ratings faster than me. So, th so there's a counter argument for sure. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's just, it's just really hard to say it's, it, and, and again, I think so much of it comes down to, uh, to individual preference. So. It's hard to just give like exact advice. Yeah, and how do you how do you study? I'll tell you, my approach is very simple. I get out a I've got a board that's about a twelve by twelve inch board, so it sits comfortably on the my desk. I grab my book, I have my highlighter and my pencil. I uh, I play a move, and then I think about what the next move is going to be. Uh, I always set it up from the white side because the board, the books tend to show from the white side. It's easier to double check that my my position's correct. But I I make a move. I think about what I think the next move might be. I I then look and see if I'm right. I make some notes sometimes when I'm right and wrong uh, as I'm going through the the game. Uh, and so it, it's kind of a, a quick uh, version of guess the move. I only spend about thirty, maybe forty. Uh, five minutes per game on average. And I do that because I'm going for volume because I'm going for learning lots of patterns right now in my chess level. I think pattern recognition is critical. And so I'm not spending three hours a game. If I did, I would never finish any of these books, but uh, that's kind of my approach. Uh, are you like get the board out or just kind of read it and have it all in your head? Yeah. So this is another one where it's it's changed over time. When I was a teenager, it was the analog age. I definitely had the book out. I had the chess set. You know, as as has come up on the pod before, some people even recommend having two sets so that like if you play through the moves, and then when you reach a point where there's variations, you can have that the second board be like your variation board. I myself remember a lot of times trying to vague, like trying to reconstruct positions when you looked at um, variations, but. These days, I'm strictly digital. Uh, I've mentioned many times. I, you know, I, I love reading courses on Chessable. I like Forward Chess. Uh, New in Chess has an app, uh, so I like these game viewers. And then, even if I'm reading chess books on Kindle, which I often do, and of course, which do not have a game viewer feature, um, I'll often look for the game online. Often, ChessGames.com. If you just Google the game, you can find it. You can then add it to a Lee Chess Study and play through the moves. Or if you have Chess Base, which is another possibility for me. Um, you can call up the game on chess base and play through it because it's just easier to play through variations. And I, Neil, I think we've talked about this before, but I think a lot of it comes down to your chess education. Because I had an analog education, I never worry that when I sit down to play an analog over the board game that it's going to feel foreign. But I know mm. that people who came up uh, in the digital age, it, they often feel like if they don't study it with a physical board, then feeling sitting down at the board for a real game can be too foreign so i think a lot of it just comes down to your experience uh level 
Yeah, good point. I mean, one of the things I will say, because I've also read several books on kind of memory and brain function, uh, one of the books I read recently talked about how if you can use multiple senses, mm -hmm. your chance of long-term recall are, is better. And so if, you know, I, that gave me some confidence because I'm reading, so I'm visualizing, I'm moving pieces, so I'm touching, and I'm writing notes. So there's like kind of three different ways I'm using my brain all at the same time. And so I do think that's going to make it stickier. My old brain needs as many hooks as I can get into it. So like, I think that's a plus for, uh, you know, physically touching pieces as you're um, going through a game <coughs> is it, it might give you a better chance to, to retain some of those ideas. Uh, how do you think we should fit annotated game study into our regular kind of somebody has like 10 hours a week to do chess? Should they spend three hours, three minutes? Uh, I have some thoughts on this, but like, what are your thoughts on, or, and what do you do? What do you recommend? Yeah. Well, first of all, I want to say that's an excellent point, Neil, about like uh, different sensory inputs being a, an, an additional way to remember. And it, it comes down to just one of these many cases where, you know, can the perfect be the enemy of the good? Because I think, I think you're pretty clearly right, you know? So, but you know, like I, as I've mentioned many times, I have kids at home and often there's a lot of stuff going on in the house. So it's just hard for me to uh, necessarily uh, get out a chess set. But I think, you know, all things being equal, it, it, it's hard to imagine it's worse to mm -hmm. uh, have out a chess set. Although I guess maybe it, it could be uh, slightly less efficient. Um, now, sorry, Neil, I forgot what you had asked me because I wanted to add that point. What percent of time do you put into game collection? And what do you recommend? Yeah. So again, I'm <laughs> maybe it makes me a bad host, but I'm hesitant to, to really give um, recommendations. But I mean, my instinct is for it to be like a slow but steady part of your chess diet. But there's again, especially with um, players who came up in in you know, prior ages, like recent interviews I've done with uh, Grandmaster Alexander Fishbein and Gregory Kaidanov, they talk about how much they love what they call solitaire chess, um, where they uh, basically play through a game and guess the move, cover up the moves. So, I mean, obviously, they've had a lot of success considering that um, their main way of studying. And one thing, again, that strikes me is it's just very enjoyable. So I would say, at least a little bit, at least 20%. And then, and again, this is more geared toward if you're say over 1500, if you're below 1500, we might talk about this more later, Neil, but I think the lower rated you are, the more your emphasis should be on studying your own games as opposed to mm. studying uh, games from books and games of the greats and stuff. Yeah, I totally agree with that. Uh, it's In the beginning, it's much more important to kind of figure out what's going on in your own games uh, for sure. My, my, uh, you know, made up approach is the following. I'm, I'm spending, you know, a couple years going through game collections and I'll have gone through about 2,400 unique games because maybe 2,600 total, probably 200 duplicates, 2,400 games of those I've been highlighting and, and making little stars in my books are the ones I think are the most. So I'm making Neil's most instructive games ever played list. It's going to be roughly around 300. And when I'm done with this uh, list of, say, 2,400 unique games and I'm moved on past strategy, I'm into end games, I just keep adding layers. So every morning I try to do, you know, a few tactics flashcards, a few positional flashcards. Uh, my plan once I go on to focusing on end games is to do two of these 300 uh, a week. 
uh, to review them again. So that'll be like an hour out of say 10 or 15 hours a week. Uh, so I think that, that um, as a sustaining approach, doing one or two, uh, you know, master level annotated games a week would be good. And my goal, my own personal goal is to just create a leech study for, for all these 300. And each time I review them, find one more interesting thing that I hadn't noticed before and keep adding to my, my list of interesting things. So that's my kind of building strategy. So I've done tactics, uh, strategy, next will be end games and finally openings. And so I'm adding little layers of, uh, of a little bit of daily or weekly work every every one of those, and so a couple. Uh, my plan is to do two uh, uh, a uh, a week uh, until I die. So, what do you think of that approach? Yeah, I think that's that's perfectly reasonable. It sounds good to me. And one other thing I wanted to mention is like there are also cases where you might be wanting to work on a specific aspect of your game, and in those cases, mm. it can make sense to go deep on uh, mm. on games to spend a, a lot of your study time doing it. Like obviously, if you're trying to learn positional play, you can study a Capablanca or a Carlson, um, and or a Karpov. And if you're trying to learn tactical play, like or like I've mentioned before, my my coach mentions. You know, I could use, I could do better at playing with the initiative, at, at keeping pressure on. So at some point, uh, he recommended I play through Tal's games. So if you're trying to like, you know, get inspiration from a specific player, then certainly this can be like the book you read. And rather than mm -hmm. just doing a little bit a day, you kind of, you know, go all in on a certain book for a certain period of time. So you know, there's, but if nothing else, I think as as you say, Neil, I think it's good to have a, a bit of daily practice with it. Yeah, so maybe one last uh, category before we go on a break uh, would be something you mentioned at the beginning, like, well, what can you expect? So, like, I don't know anyone uh, who else in my kind of level who's going to go through, you know, has gone through 1750 and going to go through 2400 total. Uh, like, why did I bother? Did I get any benefit? Like, uh, all those kinds of questions. And so I'll, I'll say two practical things that I've noticed in my games in general, and particularly in this uh, in this tournament I played in. One was, like I said, I felt totally at ease that a plan would be clear to me, regardless of kind of how crazy the middle game went. And that was true in all of my recent tournament games, as well as in my kind of daily uh, practice, whether they be kind of rapid or, or long format online games. The second thing that's, that's more concrete that I have noticed in a few of my games in the last month, it's something I never used to do, uh, which is sacrifice a pawn for positional reasons. Uh, in some cases, it's been to chuck a pawn to, to free up a bishop diagonal. In other cases, it's been to chuck a pawn to make room for a knight in enemy territory. Uh, these these decisions I've made recently have been mostly intuitive, just looking at the position saying like, almost like how Yasser talks about how like the position requires a sacrifice in order to like make progress. That's kind of in my brain. Uh, what I was thinking. And in most of the cases, after, when I look at the, the game with a computer afterwards, the uh, the computer thought my pawn sacks were, were the best move in the position. So that gives me great confidence that I'm getting something out of these, these game collections. Um, anything else you want to add on that before we go on our first break? No, I mean, just, I yeah, I would reiterate that chess is, you know, at the end of the day, you're sitting down to play a game. So you know, breaking breaking the game down into fragments can can only take you so far because you will be, as you allude to, Neil, you will ultimately be confronted with 
problems that uh, you're not confronted with by a tactics trainer or memorizing an opening. You know, there's a there's a lot more to chess than that. Uh, so so what we're going to do next, as Neil alluded to, is talk about specific books because, as as Neil said, he's been working super hard. So he's um he's he's read a bunch of them and ready to give you guys some notes about which ones are the most worthwhile. And I've uh, read a good amount of the ones Neil will discuss as well. So we will be right back and then we will get to them. I've been playing a bit of Blitz lately, and whenever I'm active online, it's fun to go to aimchess.com and ask their almighty algorithm to give me some insights from my games. It scrapes the sites, the playing sites automatically, and gives you actionable intel. In my case, the real takeaway this time was I got a 7% in resourcefulness in recent games. Um, that's not very good. I need to get better at that. I need to fight harder when I'm losing in a blitz game, look for tricks. And of course, aim chess, as it highlights various aspects of your game, strengths and weaknesses, uh, shows you positions from the game so that you can practice, you can review tactics that you missed, uh, and learn lots and a fun way when you review. So please check out aimchess.com. If you decide to subscribe, use the code perpetual30. You can also use the link in the show description to get the same discount 30% off at aimchess.com. If you're an athlete, you know the greatest motivator of all is the fear of letting your teammates down. After all, a team is only as good as its weakest link. So you owe it to those wearing the same jersey as you to be your best every time you step on the field. That's why there's no vape in team. When you vape, you can expose your lungs to toxic chemicals that can damage your lungs. If you're a step behind, the team's a step behind. Brought to you by The Real Cost and the FDA. And we are back. And as we said, Neil did what we would call, um, I don't know about if beginner is the right term, but lower level segment of books, I would say more geared towards people rated below 1500 or so, and then a more intermediate. Um, so should we start with the uh, lower level books that you read, Neil? Yes, and I'm I'm actually still going through the intermediate, so there's still more fun to have there. But uh, on the on the what I called um, kind of the basic game collections versus my intermediates, the the first one I read was the first book of Morphe. I know you you did a podcast on it. I really liked it a lot. It was my first game collection that I actually finished. It's only about thirty games, I think. So it's it's very manageable. I would not recommend like. 200 Alakine uh, games is your first book because you probably never finished that. Uh, but like something in that range of like, you know, uh, winning chess brilliancies, I think only has 12 in it. Uh, I think logical chess is around 33. Uh, and uh, so I started with Morphe, first book of Morphe. I know you had challenges with the, the way that uh, the formatting was on the book. <coughs> Excuse me. But um, generally, my sense was you feel pretty good about that book, right? Yeah. I mean, as we talked about on the pod, and listeners can can check it out if they want to hear the whole thing, but the TLDL is, um, it's a very unique book in that um, it's written about a one of our great champions, but written kind of specifically with beginners in mind. And there just aren't that many books like that. And because Morphe played, you know, uh, in the 1800s when when that we didn't know nearly as much as we did about chess now 
as we do now, the matches were quite uneven and he just has like a beautiful tactical style. Um, so the games themselves really sparkle. And I think often with a, a good game collection, the best thing is going to be the games themselves. So I, yeah, it is an unfortunately imperfect book, but if you're rated say 1200 and thinking about reading your first game collection book, I think it's as good a choice as any. Yeah. And then I did logical chess, which is kind of considered an anchor book for a lot of people. I really loved it. And and I got a lot out of it. I think anyone under 2200, you could learn a lot from that book. Uh, it, it does get a little bit repetitive. You'll skip the like 30th time he talks about why E4 is such a great uh, move, okay. uh, but you know, it doesn't matter. Like you'll just breeze through that stuff quickly. Uh, Masters of the Chessboard. I, I heard lots of people recommend it. I liked it as well. It's by Richard Reddy. I felt like it, of all of these basic books, it gave me the best sense of culture. It really kind of started with Steinitz and worked its way forward. I really got a sense of some of these, you know, great players. I frankly found Steinitz's games to be some of the most interesting, like I could understand them. And I got like, imagine a world in which you know chess strategy and virtually everyone you play only knows tactics. That's kind of the world that Steinitz lived in. And so he would crush people because either they would not understand his like slow looking positional stuff, or they would just try to attack in, in dramatic fashion. And then their attack would fizzle out and then he would win because he's up a night. And so like, it was really, I think Steinitz's games really are helpful for somebody under 2000, because that's how real chess is played. It's by people who generally don't know strategy and or people who are just throwing everything at the king. And so I found his games really interesting. It gave me a taste of all these players like uh, Alakine and, and, and Capablanca, who I'm going to read in more detail later. Uh, it wasn't my favorite. But I definitely feel like from a like it scores like an A on the chess culture test. What what was your thoughts on Masters of the Chessboard? Yeah, I think I'm one of the people uh, possibly guilty of uh, recommending it, and it, it's one of those things where like why so many um, older generation players that I interview will recommend my system because when I was a kid, it was one of the few books um, that that was around that was widely available and did take you through chess history and i remember steinitz in particular there's a famous steinitz blackburn game one of these closed roy lopez's where he he brings his knight to f1 and then e3 and then f5 and it's just very instructive in terms of uh how to quietly reorganize your pieces but i think your your criticisms are well founded i mean generally any book that's as old as that one is um is going to have a hard time competing with newer books. Although Logical Chess, of course, might be an exception in that regard. But um, I like it, but uh, I think it's reasonable to prefer other ones. Yeah, the next one I'll mention is Winning Chess Brilliancies by Yasser. Now, this was the last of the Winning Chess set that I had purchased. I purchased it just for this group. I'd read the rest of them. And I, I'm in general, <laughs> generally speaking, I'm a huge fan of Winning Chess uh this the series and Yasser in particular, I would say this was not the best of the series. I would tell people they could pass on this book. It's only twelve games, which if you if you don't want to do a lot, then then there's something for that. But it's only twelve games. <laughs> Several of them are Yasser games, um, which is fine. Uh, but I don't think they're necessarily the twelve best games ever uh, done. Uh, I just felt like it was good but not great. I don't know if you've you, you've I know you've looked at several of the winning chess ones. I feel like 
they're not all of equal kind of value. Are you in that camp too? Or, or what's your thoughts on, uh, on that one? Yeah, that one I'm not so familiar with, so I can't really, I'll, I'll defer to you on that one, Neil. Yeah. The last two that I read in this category, uh, really are, uh, you know, ones that, that compare, uh, to each other, uh, one is is uh, chess, the art of logical thinking, and it's frankly more of a logical chess move by move, uh, you know, like uh, follow up. It's by Neil McDonald. I felt like Neil McDonald's chess, uh, the art of logical thinking, was better than logical chess. Much like I think there are better books than My System Today or Pawn Power Today, uh, but I will say the the book that held up the best uh, best uh, test of time is Chernev's most instructive games of chess ever played. And my method, in case anyone was curious of how I chose, like how did uh, you know the most instructive games ever played beat the rest? At the front of every book, I would just make uh, in pencil notes of how many games uh, I felt like were some of the most. What are going to make my my group of uh, of 300 and 31, it just works out to half 31 of the, of the 62 games uh, I, I um, wrote at the front of the book are some of the best games I've ever seen from a uh, instructional point of view. None of the other books I read had half of the games be kind of what I would call truly masterpieces. And so it's rare for me to see an older book that is better than all of these books that have obviously tried to come afterwards and replace it, it gives me hope to like keep reading older books from time to time because uh, just because it's old doesn't mean it's been replaced. So I know you're a pretty big fan of that one too, right, Ben? Yeah, I am. It's a great book uh, for, I think, anyone rated, say, 1800, maybe even 1800 or lower, maybe even higher. It's also a great book for teachers uh, because mm. like Neil said, it's just got so many amazing games and the fact that he explains basically every move uh, and, and he's a good writer, uh, makes it, um, quite worthwhile. Cool. So uh, I am just starting the, uh, <laughs> the intermediate books. Uh, I'm right now doing a two book, uh, set on, uh, Alakine, Alokin, however you want to say his right. name. Um, I will say that like I was mesmerized by Morphe when I first uh, went through his games. I feel like Alakine is like, a better Morphe, and this might make all the chess people who know more about chess uh, freak out, but I feel like Alakine would just crush Morphe. Like, uh, Morphe could do like a five move tactic. Alakine would do like 20 move tactics. It's insane where he says, 15 moves later, this will be clear. You know, and he was right. Now, that might be him after the fact making it sound better than it was during the game, but I'm really stunned. The biggest thing I've gotten from going through a bunch of Alakine's games is. I, I personally believe, just from my own experience, that, you know, I, well, I'll say it this way. I've never lost a, or won a game, tournament game, because of like an eight-move combo. Uh, it doesn't happen kind of under the 2200 level, at least in my experience. It's usually <laughs> like the, the one to four movers that get you in trouble. And I've beaten players rated over 2,000 with kind of four to five-move tactics, never more than that. Uh, and so... I, I have, I think, a bias against uh, feeling like people, particularly under 2200, should be trying to do these like 10 move calculation exercises. But I will say that that these Alakine games have changed my perspective. Like, if there was a person who was going to motivate me 
to take it up a notch to go from like, I can do a five to six move tactical sequence to like a 10 to 12 move tactical sequence. Alakine's the guy. Cause it's just incredible to me, the creativity that he demonstrates again, to me, it's like Morphe on steroids. It's, it's preternatural. It's really incredible how, um, sharp he is and how creative he is he's obviously all uh, good strategically as well uh, and his notes show that but i i'm really stunned at how good of a player alakine is I, I haven't yet i mean uh I, i've got judith polgar and others to come that i'm sure are, were, are better than what alakine was but it's really shocking to me how good of a player alakine was i never really studied his games in detail uh, you, you did some as a kid, right? Yeah, and and again, playing through some of his most famous games today. I mean, often with a player, if I'm just trying to refresh my memory or get acclimated to someone, I'll go to chessgames.com and they have a notable games thing right on the landing page for any given player. So I just looked at Alakine's the 10 games that they have on his notable games, and it was a lot of uh, memories being jogged of these like famous mm. combinations and... Uh, you know, uh, classic games that I, I had seen, but uh, didn't have sort of um, at the tip of my tongue in terms of remembering them. And and a couple things to add, Neil. I mean, you're certainly, you're definitely not out on a limb saying he's like way stronger than Morphe. I mean, he was like, he he was like steps above his predecessors, and there is sort of a, a clarity um, and an um, an energy in the way he plays that it. Uh, it, it's to my shame that I haven't read a proper Alakine game collection, but in books like Masters of the Chessboard and you know all the various compilations of various players, I've certainly seen my share of his games. And and yeah, uh, unfortunately, um, he's uh, he was not the best person, but there's there's a lot to learn from his chess. Yeah, yeah, good point. I mean, next I'm going to do two of the other kind of classic old, uh, older players, Capablanca's best games. Uh, there's a hundred book, um, hundred game, uh, collection and then bought Phoenix 100 selected games. Uh, you know, I think both of those will be great. So, uh, lots of people on Twitter were telling me if I don't, don't do bot Vinick, I'm, I'm missing out. So I'm excited about those. And then I'm doing, uh, more of a general one. Uh, you probably, I mean, this is a classic, uh, I've owned for years. I've never read it. John Nunn's understanding chess move by move. Have you done that one? I haven't done it in full, but I have it and have looked at some of the games in it. Um, and, and one other thing I wanted to add, this should go without saying, but of course we're talking about books, but you can still do a deep dive on a player in, in less, uh, less analog ways. I mean, you, you know, obviously there are various YouTube rabbit holes, people like Agamonte and Daniel King, you know, at times will do series on a given player. So you can just sort of, uh, you know, grab the iPad and sit on the couch and watch a bunch of games that way. If you don't share my inability to pay attention to, to videos for uh, a protracted period and and as I mentioned there's you know if you have chess space you can just look a player up um, uh, some of the games are annotated so you can even just select for the ones that are annotated so you don't necessarily need to buy chess books um, in fact Neil I noticed the Alakine ones are beautiful McFarlane books and uh, beautiful McFarlane books also mean expensive <laughs> McFarlane books and they mean no ebook. So there's lots of ways right. to learn these players uh, and learn from these players and annotated games are just one way, although one that Neil and I are certainly partial to. Yeah, great point. I mean, the last two players I'm going to go through and, and, and I had to stop at some point. I mean, there's a lot of players I'm missing 
Uh, I'm sure you would you would add ones. Uh, we can talk about that in a minute. But I, I got a two book set. Uh, Tibor Caroli is that how, how yeah, you say? Yeah, I think it? so. Um, you know, he has two making of a champion in the prime years of Karpov. I was really blown away when I read uh, the book that Karpov maybe was involved in called Find the Right Plan. Uh, Karpov's ability to play strategic chess, it, it was very foreign to me when I started my, my journey on chess strategy. And I just felt like he had incredible clarity that I wanted to learn from. Uh, so I'm excited to go through all of these Karpov um, games. And then my last um, set I'm going to do is the three book set, uh, Judith Polgar's three book set. I'm excited to finish with those. Judith is obviously one of the strongest players to ever play the game. Uh, I, I think it'll be interesting for me to learn more about her history. I know her father also was a big fan of flashcards, so I feel an affinity there. Uh, I know that her sister is super engaged on Twitter, which I, I, I find really awesome. Uh, and you read the set. So what are your thoughts on this Judith set that I'm going to read a little bit? Yeah. So I did a podcast with Jen Shahadi on the first of that trilogy, which is called How I Beat Fisher's Record. It's about when Judith was a kid. And as you will, anyone who heard that pod or hears that pod will hear Jen and I just absolutely love those books. Uh, they're kind of a unique mix of there's some full games, but there's also some game fragments. It's also one of these books that's like part memoir, part game collection which as someone who does like books with words in them, for me, that's like catnip. But I know for others, they might be more inclined to just want straight up games with annotations. But, you know, they're from Quality Chess, so they're beautiful books. Um, so, yeah, and and Judith, obviously, as uh, she's sort of like the, the, the descendant of these famed uh, attacking players, you know, your Kasparovs, your Tals, your Alakines, your Morphys. Uh, so she's she's sort of next in line in terms of the way that she played. So uh, yeah, two thumbs up. And of course, our, our boy Andres Toth uh, did, did a course with Judith on Chessable that also um, is worth checking out because I, I mean, she's drawing from her own games in either case. So, you, you know, and, and as is the case with a lot of these, like when you were talking about Karpov, the Karpov book that I have familiar familiarity with is Sam Collins is Karpov move by move. And mm. often there's going to be pros and cons about any sort of book that you pick. But if you're learning from that particular player, you kind of can't go wrong. Sure. So yeah, I'm doing 16 total between these basic and intermediate 16 books. That's obviously a super sub list. Obviously Fisher's 60 games is not on the list. Tal's life, uh, is not on the list. Uh, I'm sure people, uh, my decision was to, to just wait on those till I'm a little more advanced. I feel like uh, I, I will get more, particularly from Fisher when I'm, I'm a little um, better player, but are there other books kind of for other players who are maybe 1800 or below that you think you would recommend that you've read? Um, I'm, I'm sure there are. I mean, there's so many game collection books, um, but I feel like we've we've given a good overview of the ones. I mean, I did want to mention, I just discussed uh, Karpov's Move by Move. Every Man has a whole series of Move by Move books. Um, mm. I found them, some of them are good. They're a bit uneven. The other thing is I would warn that they're not, they're not Move by Move in the Chernov or even the Neil McDonald book you mentioned, which I also think is excellent. Um, they're not Move by Move. They don't cover every move, even though they say they're Move by Move. But I think they are decent choices because, like, uh, I enjoyed uh, Junior Tay's Ivanchuk Move by Move, even though, I mean, mm. he's not a world champion, but obviously everyone loves Ivanchuk. Um, right. So the, there are... Uh, 
there's just so many. And again, I think it's more about define your objective. You know, do you want to know about a specific player? Are you trying to cultivate a certain style? Um, are you trying to just cover all the world champions? And once you've defined your objective, then you can kind of go from there in terms of uh, of of which books to select. Great. Did you want to uh, do one more break here or do you want to um, go to the next <laughs> section? You are a pro, Neil. Let's take one more break and we will be right back. Perpetual Chess is proud to be brought to you in part by our presenting chess education sponsors, Chessable.com. Of course, Chessable uses space repetition to help you learn opening sequences, tactical patterns, um, specific end games, whatever it may be that you need to work on on your game. Uh, some of their latest courses include Understanding Chess Openings Part 3 by none other than Big Vladdy, former world champion, Grandmaster Vladimir Kramnik, sharing his lifetime of expertise on uh, how to respond to various E4 possibilities. So be sure to check that out. And they have a, a free preview for Chessable Pro members. So please just remember to make it part of your routine to go to chessable.com and check out uh, all of their new offerings, which are available both for free and for purchase. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. And we are back. And Neil, when he posted that we were going to be discussing this on Twitter, as we said, we got a lot of good questions. Um, I was surprised. There was a lot of interest because I do think there's this sense that people people are told that they should be studying games, but they don't necessarily know what to do. And as we said before, unfortunately, we don't really either. But nonetheless, we will uh, we'll do our best to, to try to give some guidance. So w which questions haven't we tackled yet, Neil? Well, the, the one board or two board question we haven't tackled. This was from Chess and Maintenance uh, on Twitter. I, I use one board. Like, that's plenty for me. I, I will say it's tied into another Twitter question. I don't go deep on these side variations. In fact, I, I'm avoiding books where the side variations are two-thirds of the book. Uh, I'm not trying to understand all of the Grandmaster level thinking. I'm trying to understand how was the game played and what were the reasons. So what I do is... If I, uh, if I feel like a, a sideline is so important, I will just go down it with my pieces and then set the board back up the way it was before I went down the sideline. I would say 90% of the time, I just look at the moves. I do my best to visualize what's happening. I try to understand why they matter. And then I move on because I, I, I think I would spend one to two hours per game if I was really trying to look through every possible sideline. And I feel like that's just too much for me at my level. So you, have you ever tried two boards? Uh, I have not. Yeah, I did. As I said, when I was um, when I was reading a lot of books with a chess set, I did play through a lot of the variations. Obviously, another good thing you can do if you're ambitious is to try to visualize the variations. Really take your time, and when they, you know, when they give them, don't play them on the board, but try to try to picture them in your head. Because obviously, if you're playing a, an OTB game, that's somewhat replicating the experience. Um, but yeah, I never did the two set thing. Um, and you know, the older I get, unfortunately, the, the less I, I play through every variation. 
Sure. Another question that you know came up uh, was, and this was by Bram uh, Kellens, was, you know, do you go? Do you prefer? And I do think this is a preference thing. Do you prefer a single uh, player or or collections? So examples of collections would be understanding chess move by move, logical chess, chess the art of logical thinking, and uh, most instructive games ever played. So I will say, you know. Probably in my top 10 ever chess books to date I've read would be most instructive games ever, uh, games of chess ever played by Chernev. Having said that, I think it's the exception to the rule. My preference is to focus on a particular player, focus on Morphe, focus on Kappa, focus on Karpov, focus on Alakine, etc. I feel like I get more of a rhythm of how, and get to understand how they think by looking at a lot of their games in a row. Uh, it is better for me if, in most of these books, do this. They show both wins and losses, uh, but I also prefer collections where the people are are annotating their own games. Uh, so one question is: Do you do a collection of different players, or do you do all of one kind, one player only? And then a secondary question is: If it's one player only, can you um, get it with their own? annotations it's obviously in my opinion better but not always possible uh so what are your thoughts on which do you prefer do you like to kind of uh mix it up or do you prefer single player uh collections yeah i mean certainly we've both recommended uh some books that that kind of jump around and discuss other players or do profiles of uh individual players but i'm i'm with you neil i've got a strong preference for uh for collections from one player because as you say there's a flow to it and towards the end you do feel like it like if you're playing guess the move if you're doing solitaire chess which by the way i've gotten a couple questions subsequent to the fishbein and kaidanov interviews about how to do solitaire chess on lee chess and i do hope to make a video about it at some point um at some point soon so so make sure you're sub to our youtube the perpetual chess youtube channel which mostly is just uh audio renderings and the occasional video pod but at some point i'm going to post a video about how to do solitaire chess there but anyway i mean i really prefer just you know because you start to you start to feel them you know like if you play mm. through a bunch of tall games um you know you really do get a sense for his sort of like uh gambler's gambler's approach to um to dynamic chess and uh whereas with karpov you know you 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 start to really appreciate that delicate touch so there's there's just yeah, it, it's really fun to just try to get in the head of, of a particular player and just kind of, um, you know, go deep on them. That's awesome. So we've we've covered kind of my portion and appreciate your thoughts, too, on the uh, recent game collections. You've you've like read through dozens of uh, books <laughs> for your podcast on these um, these book reviews. And so. I know we wanted to give you a moment to say, you know, maybe not everyone's got as much commitment and time as you do, Ben, to read dozens of books. And so I wanted to give you a chance to really lead us in the next final section on kind of what would you say is your short list of the books that you've reviewed on the podcast? Yeah. And yeah, I mean, not everyone even has time to listen to all these book review pods. I, I totally get it. And actually, our original uh, plan for this podcast was... I, I'm now at 32 books have been reviewed. It hasn't been 32 episodes because a couple we double dipped, but 32 books have been reviewed in depth on this pod. Of course, obviously, I've read a lot more chess books than that, but th those are a decent uh, guideline for like maybe you just want to think about listening to um, a podcast or at least like sort them for by genre. 
Uh, so obviously, since this has been predominantly uh, based on game collections, I think I'll start with um, the game collection books that have been reviewed here on this pod. And as Neil said, there's always going to be some overlap between uh, general improvement books and game collections because a lot of general improvement books uh, might be like centered around a theme. Um, but nonetheless, uh, the the examples are are games. But we tried to I we settled on doing it ones that are really just collections of games. Like Yermolinsky's Road to Chess Improvement, I think was the one that we found the hardest because it really is basically his games, but it's arranged. Uh, this is how I learned this. This is how I learned that. Uh, mm-hmm. So we put that one in general improvement. So here are the game collections that have been reviewed here on this podcast. Um, the Mammoth Book of the World's Greatest Chess Games, How I Beat Fisher's Record by Polgar, Logical Chess Move by Move, The Life and Games of Mikhail Tal, My 60 Most Memorable Games by Fisher, Fire on Board by Shirov, A First Book of Morphe, uh, Nidorvs, uh, and then Nate Solon and I did a, a dual Zurich 1953 one. Of course, those books get recommended a lot. Um, Nidorf wrote one, and then the more famous one is, of course, by David Bronstein. Um, and those are actually the order I rank them in. Um, so the Mammoth Book of World's Greatest Chess Games, it's amazing. It's mainly just because it's like such an amazing compilation of games that that one's my favorite. Uh, although that one, it's probably 1600 plus uh, is around where you would want to read it. Same for How I Beat Fisher's Record. So if you're newer to chess, um, but do want to get your feet wet in some game collections, then as we said earlier, the ones that I would recommend uh, the highest are first book of Morphe uh, as a first book of game collections and logical chess move by move, which I consider a better book, but it's more advanced, although he is a great writer. So he does a good job explaining it. Um, Neil, anything to add about that, uh, you know, list of books? Yeah. You've read many more than I have in this, this list. I, I do feel like I want to read the mammoth book uh, simply based on that podcast you did. It sounds amazing. Yeah, it's really fun. I mean, uh, you know, it's always a project of that scope where you're trying to pick the very best games. You're always going to have quibbles. And as as Christopher Chabrie and I discussed, uh, the the no Morphe games is definitely a choice. Um, you know, mm. we, we can understand. Uh, they explain how they came to it. But um, nonetheless, uh, <coughs> there's always going to be quibbles. But it's, it's a great book. And, uh, you know, pretty easy to read and cheap on Kindle, as we discussed. Uh, so then to get to... Um, other um, general categories from the books we discussed in the um, general improvement. For, so I broke this into two sort of rating sections below 1600 and above 1600. And we should say with all these, I'm not ranking the podcast, obviously. I'm ranking the actual books. Um, but the best, uh, and I think, Neil, you'll agree with me on this, my hi- highest recommendation to learn positional chess below 1600 is Simple Chess by Michael Steen. Um, and then uh, reassess your chess is solid, although definitely a sig- significant step down for me. Um, uh, winning chess strategies by Yasser is solid. Um, and then I guess I may have revealed some biases here because a lot more of the ones I did are uh, above 1600. A few favorites are the Seven Deadly Chess Sins, Road to Chess Improvement, Under the Surface. Um, you know, if you've listened to a lot of these, you've heard. Um, me recommend them before but maybe i'll draw up a google doc and uh try to summarize it all because there's there's a lot to remember and also you can always hit me up on uh on twitter or uh send me an email if you are looking for a specific um recommendation for a specific purpose 
Um, yeah, and I, I agree with you. I think Simple Chess is one of the best uh, strategy books uh, ever written and something that I'll probably gain from from reading at different levels as I advance in my chess. So totally agree with you. That's that's a star. Yeah. <clears throat> and then in the category of ta- chess tactics and puzzles, there's only so much you can say about them on a podcast. But uh, so the four that we put in that category were the woodpecker method, which Neil and I discussed a few years back. Uh, rapid chess improvement, which was sort of the predecessor to woodpecker method. Um, chess tactics from scratch, which was fairly recent, um, a fairly recent podcast. And I know a lot of people, especially uh, Jesse Cry from the dojo. Shout out to Jesse. He read it and started recommending it. So I know he's got a lot of people in the uh, dojo training program reading and I think enjoying chess tactics from scratch and then think like a grandmaster, which is another of these old books that gets recommended a lot, but honestly it, um, it wouldn't be my first choice. And yeah, out of those, I, th- I, th- I would recommend chess tactics from scratch. The, um, the highest uh, woodpecker method obviously was re- sort of, well, I would say revolutionary, except as Neil and I discussed uh, kind of piggybacked off of, the worst book, but uh, more innovative, more ahead of its time, rapid chess improvement. But the the idea of doing space repetition of tactics, I think, is the most important thing about Woodpecker Method rather than the tactics themselves. In fact, as I, I, I don't remember exactly what we said on the podcast, Neil, but as I sort of look back on it with more time, I feel like the levels are a bit spread out and the advanced mm. puzzles are pretty hard. So I feel yeah. like it's like, it's a big undertaking if you, and you might be better off using the method they describe in Woodpecker Method with something a little more bite-sized depending on your level. Yeah, I think that what's hard with the Woodpecker Method is it it's like, 10% method and 90% examples. And I think those examples are really spread out in difficulty. And so it's not realistic. You're, it's either going to be too easy or too hard, one or the other, if you try to do all of them. Yeah. Uh, I think the process is is brilliant. And frankly, um, you know, I, what I would say is is you can find Delamaz's uh, short essay he did on rapid chess improvement online. <laughs> it's like four pages. And you get basically all the be- best parts of the book uh, in those four pages from a method perspective, the concepts were, if you're too lazy to read four pages, uh, it's, uh, tactics are the biggest differentiator below 2200 and, uh, you can get better at tactics and space repetition is a big way to dig, get there. I mean, Chessable's built a business around this idea and, and has clearly shown a lot of success in doing so. So I want to read chess tactics from scratch. I, I haven't yet. And, and, Everything I've heard is it's a great intermediate level book. That, that's your sense? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, especially the prose parts, the not the non puzzles at the end. He just does a great job deconstructing tactics, and it's definitely the kind of book you can go back to more than once. So, yeah, that would be my highest recommendation out of those four uh, tactics books. And again, this is not talking about. Obviously, I've interviewed all these authors, and some of them have written fantastic books um it's just you know that would be a larger project to sit there and try to think of uh every single book that's come up on the podcast and evaluate them so these are just the ones i've done pods about and the last uh the last um category is chess history which there are five books that i would say are firmly in that category uh bobby fisher goes to war which is a fisher memoir um, sorry, biography. Uh, the World Champions I Knew by a grandmaster named Jenna Sasanko, um, who just sort of tells stories about 
the the world champions he knew although that you know that one's it's really good the guy's a beautiful writer but it's a bit uneven bobby fisher goes to war is very good if you want to learn fisher history but of course there's also endgame by frank brady which is uh equally good um blindfold chess that's the history of blindfold chess that one i would not recommend as highly unless that really sounds like something you're interested in but it's kind of a dry history book although certainly has its moments of interest uh timmons the longest game that was fairly recent so some of you may have heard that review definitely an excellent uh primer on the kasparov karpov matches which obviously are huge in uh the annals of chess history and then the highest recommendation is Korchnoi's memoir chess is my life just because he just had such a fascinating life and it's it's uh pretty well written and you know from all the shenanigans with his famous match with Karpov and uh all the all the you know the longevity of his career uh that one to me is the best and all of these are are good choices if you're just looking for something that doesn't have chess games in it that you just want to maybe pick up and read for 15 minutes before you go to bed or something like that but uh I recommend out of those five Four out of five of them are all good. Bobby Fischer goes to World of World Champions. I knew the longest game in Courtney's Chess is my life, but Blindfold Chess, I'd say, is not as easy a read. Um, have you read any of those, Neil? I, I haven't, but I remember smiling during most of the podcast that you did on uh, Courtney's Chess is my life and thinking, I probably will never read this, but I'm so glad I listened to your podcast because I felt like in an hour I got a good sense of the book. And that was really rewarding for me. So if any of you haven't heard that podcast, I highly recommend that that one. And I'm sure it's a, a great book. Uh, but this has been so much fun, Ben. I hope people get some value out of thinking about doing annotated games, going through some of these other categories that, uh, that you've recommended. And it's a real it, it's a real service you do to uh, to do these uh, game game uh, podcasts. Thank you. Thank you, Neil. And obviously, I, I really appreciate all of your efforts. I know you have a lot going on, but you always come so prepared, have your bullet points down, uh, you know, help people a lot. Um, so before we wrap up, Neil, I feel like we, we got to do a bonus couple minutes because uh, people who follow you on Twitter will know that you've also just for for um, I'm trying to not curse here so I don't have to put the little disclaimer on the thing. Just for amusement, you're learning coding because you're not doing enough with chess aside from your job and family responsibilities? Yeah, I am. Uh, I'm trying to prepare to actually uh, go forward with a master's in computer science. Uh, and I don't have an undergraduate degree in, in computer science. My undergraduate degree from Boston College was in marketing. But I, I took six... Uh, the last few years, I've taken uh, six different tech courses. I- I'm just about to finish a course on Java. I'm learning Java, and and the reason why, the reason why I am, um, I'm doing this is because I felt like in my career, I wasn't uh, challenging myself enough, and uh, as a person who's the head of product at a software company, the more I understand how software works the better I can, I think the better I'll build products. And so it's not a requirement for my career, but I'm actually liking it. And, and so, you know, I was doing more like two hours a day on chess. I'm now doing more like one to two, one to maybe one and a half hours a day. I'm doing one uh, hour a day on uh, learning how to code. 
Uh, I've done Python and HTML and CSS and so Java and object oriented programming is really interesting to me. And now I'm doing algorithms, which are just another level deeper. Uh, but I, I, I feel like, you know, I wrote on my Twitter, uh, you know, handle when I joined Twitter in 2017, that I'm a lifelong learner. And I felt like I'm not living up to that standard uh, in all parts of my life. And so I, I'm really fascinated uh, and it, what it's proven to me is, you know, I'm 53 at any age. I believe people can pick up a new thing that's totally scary and they can, they can learn it and they can get good at it. And so it's been really rewarding for me to learn all these software languages uh, and learn how to code and, and not be intimidated and scared and, and, and fail and, and strive and succeed and all the rest. So I would just say to anyone if there's something you want to learn, it's never too late. You're never too old and be patient and you're going to get better at it. That's awesome, Neil. It's quite inspiring. You, you know, you, you make me feel like a failure, but, uh, but, it, <laughs> but on a broader, on a broader perspective, it's quite inspiring. And, uh, yeah, I, I hope to, uh, take that advice to heart and pick up some new skills myself. Um, so yeah, keep it up, but just don't forget about us chess players. We, we need you in the no, chess. Never. We need you in the chess world too, Neil. Um, so I think that's about it. Uh, in terms of the next book recap, I actually don't know. It, it won't be too long. It will be within two months, I would say, but I haven't lined up the next one yet. So I guess it will be a surprise. And then a f I, I have some more book content coming. Um, uh, Fide Master Karsten Hansen, who's got to be one of the most knowledgeable people about chess books in the world, is going to do a podcast with me soon uh, where we're going to name some underrated chess books. We will find some that were not discussed in this pod and talk about that. And then one book recap that will be happening in a few months is a uh, friend and returning guest uh, and cognitive scientist Christopher Chabri. And I will be going through a tournament book, uh, San Luis 2005, very notable modern chess tournament that was played for the world championship, uh, which is a, an ambitious project. It's like 400 something pages. Um, but wow. we'll also be talking more broadly about uh, tournament game collections, which obviously Nate Solon and I did, Zurich 1953, which gets name checked a lot. Uh, there's a there's a, a few very famous uh, chess um chess tournament compilation books, but also someone like Jakob Agard of Quality Chess will tell you that those books don't sell very well. So mm -hmm. a few months down the line, we will be discussing why they don't sell, you know, uh, what role do they have in your your sort of chess study, similar to what we've done here. But I'll try to have something else book related, one or two things book related before that, in addition to sort of your regular Tuesday interviews. Um, well, Neil, I think I've said my spiel. Anything to add before we say our goodbyes? I'll just say, it, it, I know that uh, it's a lot of work for you to do these game, uh, these book recaps, and the um, they help me, and I think they help a lot of your listeners. So uh, it's a lot of work for you. I'm sure it's more work for you to read these books than to just uh, do a few hours of prep for a regular interview, but. I'm grateful for them. I know a lot of your listeners are grateful. So just thank you for this. Oh, thanks, Neil. Yeah, it, it is a lot of work, especially because it's like, you know, it's like the concept of like needing to 
needing to master something in order to teach it. Like in order to be able to go on a pod and talk about a book for an hour, it's different. Even even though whenever I interview someone and they have a new book out, I always make sure I read their books. But still, it's not like I'm just spouting off about it for an hour nonstop. You know, they're they're the ones who've spent their life writing this thing and they're the ones that I'm just trying to guide the conversation. Whereas here, I'm actually trying to sort of synthesize. So yeah, they're, they're a lot of work and that's why I might be slowing down on them a little bit, but certainly no plans of, uh, of uh, quitting. Um, and your help is always appreciated uh, as well, Neil. Well, thanks so much for having uh, me, and I hope everyone enjoyed the show. Okay, take care, everyone. We will catch you all in another episode soon. Uh, goodbye from myself and from the Habit Grandmaster. Thanks to everyone who helps make Perpetual Chess possible. Big shout out to my producer, Matthew Passy. I'd also like to thank the Blue Wire Podcast Network, with whom we are proud to be affiliated. Be sure to follow us on social media, Beneficial1 on Twitter, at Perpetual Chess on Instagram, and or you can join the Perpetual Chess Facebook group. You can email me, ben at perpetualchesspod.com. And of course, last but not least, I'd like to give major thanks to the Perpetual Chess Patreon and PayPal supporters. Those who choose to join that community based on their level of support can do things like submit questions for guests of the show, have access to live Zoom Q&A lectures with grandmasters who often have appeared on the show, going over chess games, answering questions, stuff like that. And you can even get access to ad-free perpetual chess if that's your preference. So, but most of all, thanks to everyone for listening and we will catch you all on the next episode. Podcast Network. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.